You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you've enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. Well, this past uh, week, we began a new series entitled, Who's Your One? Uh, this is all about, as I've said many times, I always use a phrase, it's about keeping the main thing the main thing. We don't need to minor on majors, and we don't need to major on minors. And the major thing is sharing Jesus with people. You agree with that? I'm hoping that through this series, <clears throat> we look at this idea of one person in our life that does not know Jesus and we would begin to go fishing for them. You know, most people are really passionate about movements. I mean, especially the millennial generation, if you think about that. I mean, we love this idea of big things happening all around us. We love to be a part of something great. We love to be a part of a church that's doing great things for the kingdom of God. Yet somehow, we've missed our part in it. It's really easy, if you think about it, just to be a part of something great. But now to actually use our gifting and to be a part of that movement is another thing entirely. What I'm afraid of is that a lot of us have become really good cheerleaders. What I would say is pep rally Christians. Some of you old enough to know what a pep rally is, right? Cheerleaders. But we have not become good contributors to the mission of God. We're really good at standing on the sideline and throwing up our pom-poms and cheering while everybody else is kind of hard at work on the front lines. But my hope is that we would all stop just being cheerleaders and we would start becoming contributors to a great movement of the mission of God right here in Lima, Ohio. Listen, it doesn't start with the masses. It starts with one. It starts with one person. If you would, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. And we're going to be talking about healing the paralytic today. And what I'm hoping is this morning is that the Holy Spirit would begin to put a, let's just say, put on our hearts a desire, a passion, and a longing for the one. And if you have not found that one that you're praying for and praying that God would help you share the gospel with, you need to be doing that this month. So let's begin looking in verse 17 of chapter 5. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him for Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed, through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? 
Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, if you read the New Testament, you'll notice Jesus is going around from place to place in the beginning stages of his ministry, and constantly he has these encounters with teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And these are people that Jesus came in contact with, and most of his teachings were completely against them. They had put an unnecessary weight on the people of God for salvation. And Jesus comes and he pits himself against them and he says, this is actually the way of salvation. See, it said right here in the scripture that the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. And some men were carrying a man on a mat and they tried to get him into the house and lay him before Jesus. And you understand that it says, but there was a crowd. You see, there's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be a crowd. There's always going to be something or somebody that tries to keep us from getting someone to Jesus. Now, I've been to Israel, and if you look and you see these houses, they have these little tiles, but they're built of a lot of uh, just uh, huge limbs and, and these date palms and all of this stuff on top. But guys, these guys, you got to understand, these men got up there and probably just tore right through the roof to get this man to Jesus. The amazing thing, I, it would have been great to see that. And then he said to them, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, now who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, that's a question that comes up constantly in the New Testament. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? If you remember, even his disciples said, who do people, or Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he looked at them, who do you say that I am? It's one of the most important questions that every human being will ever have to wrestle with. Who is Jesus? You see, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, and I love this. See, Jesus knows their thoughts. He always knows the thoughts of his people. And he's playing like these Jedi mind tricks on them. And he's like, I know what you're thinking, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Now look at these next verses, beginning with verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with all saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Church, that is what I want us to see here. Extraordinary things. You heard me say last week that the first Sunday of November, we'll have another special baptism. We've done it twice. One time when we did it, we baptized 26. The next time we baptized 20. Explaining what baptism really is. But the way people get baptized is people has to come, they have to come to know Jesus first. Does that make sense? 
And the only way people are going to come to know Jesus is they got to hear it from something, somebody. And that is our job. I want us to see four things from this passage. Number one, these men that brought the paralyzed man before the feet of Jesus, they had a mission. Now, you need to understand this morning, there are many priorities in your life. But none of them have eternal consequences like your mission does. Your mission is more than any job, any achievement, or goal you will reach during your life here on earth. Nothing you do will ever matter as much as helping people establish an eternal relationship with God. Understand that our mission requires urgency, not just because it's important, but also because our time is limited. Here's the truth. Eternity without God is real. Hell is not a myth. Now, don't miss this. People, don't, people who don't choose to live with Jesus in this life won't live with him in the next. Mission helps define us. It gives us direction. It gives us direction in our families. It gives us directions in our life. It gives us direction in our businesses. It gives us direction in our culture. And it even gives us direction right here in our church. Our church's mission is this right here. Say it with me. Let's go. Together we go, serve, and love as we pursue a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, our mission defines us. Some of you thought that Instagram was just an app on your phone. Do you know what it is? It's an organization. It's a company. This is what their mission statement says. To capture and share the world's moments. Some of y'all this past weekend, I mean, we had a wedding last night and yesterday and then in the evening and we were out in the uh, fellowship room and eating and everybody is taking pictures. You understand? That's what many of you have done all week. You snap a picture. You thought everybody needs to see this. You take a picture of it. And guess what? You share it with the whole world. Well, what are you doing? You're doing exactly what Instagram wants you to do. They want you to capture your life's moments and share them with the world. <clears throat> That's their mission. It's who they are. Well, Facebook also has a mission. It's a media platform for your grandma to keep up with all their grandchildren. Amen? Seriously, I remember when my mother, God bless her, tried to be my friend on Facebook. Oh, my goodness, it was crazy. And now we do the same thing with our kids and granddaughter, don't we, baby? But here's a little side note for you. Parents and grandparents, the day you ask your children or grandchildren to be friends on Facebook, they left. They left Facebook and they got on Instagram, so you might want to go over to Instagram now. That's where they are, okay? Listen, Jesus himself had a mission statement. Did he not? The Gospel of Luke 19, verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, what was the defining mission for the men that brought the paralyzed man before Jesus in Luke 17? passage there, the Luke 5. What was their defining mission? What was their vision? What was the thing that they were hoping for? 
I would say it was maybe they had a friend. Maybe it was somebody they knew. A friend that they wanted to see walk and it drove them. It moved them. Or maybe it was just someone they passed on the street who needed healing. Let me ask you a simple question today. What drives you? What pushes you? What moves you forward in life? Is it to have a good job? Is it to have an early retirement? Is it so you can maybe leave a good inheritance to your children? Listen, all of those things are good things that God enjoys you to have. That you would have a job that provides for you and your family. And that you would be able to provide for your family for generations to come. But let me ask you, maybe in a different category. What things, spiritually speaking, are driving you? What kingdom dreams do you have? What things in your life are you thinking about and dreaming about that are moving you in a way that you're not just living for the moment, but you're living for eternity? What are the things in your life that are welling up inside of you for eternity's sake that are driving you and pushing you forward. Parents, is it that your children would, become, would come to faith in Christ? Because if that's the case, you know what's going to happen, mom and dad? We're going to work hard every single day to see our children grasp the beauty of the gospel. Every day we're going to work hard at it. Because that mission is defining us. It's putting it out there. There's a picture that's driving you. There's a vision that moves you. There's a mission that defines you. Now don't miss this. One pastor said this. If the size of your vision doesn't intimidate you, it's probably insulting to God. Now I'll be sharing a God-sized vision with you next January that our deacons and our transition team have been talking and praying about. So my question again, what is driving you for the kingdom? What is it? Who is it? Who is that person? Because in this passage, these men, the driving force for their motivation was that that lame man would walk. As the disciple of Christ, I would say to all of us, if we're looking for a mission for our life, why not take on the mission of Jesus himself, that God would use us, that the lost might be found, that God would use me as an ambassador of the gospel, that those that are far away may come to faith in Christ. But listen, these men didn't just have a mission. They had an eager expectation. They had an eager expectation, did they not? They didn't just say, go like, oh man, man, we're on a mission. Sounds good. Sounds great. They're like, no, that mission moved me. There's a, their expectation was if we can get our friend at the feet of Jesus, maybe Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. But you need to know this. You need to do what only you can do. This is why pastors this morning, all over, they're always saying, Invite someone to church, especially those who don't know God 
or who are far away from God. Because even if the pastor is a bumbling idiot and he fumbles over the words, the word of God never returns void. It's amazing. It is crazy what God can do. And we need to understand our job is to get them here. But we also need to share Christ with them. Their expectation was if we could get our friend to the feet of Jesus, maybe Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. When I think about what these men did, I think about risk. Risk, taking a chance, taking a dare on God, literally. I think about the men of the Old Testament like Joshua. You know, here it is. Moses is gone now, and he's handed off the baton of his leadership off to a man by the name of Joshua. And Joshua is now in charge of leading God's people into the promised land that Moses didn't get to go to. Remember Joshua? So the Lord looks at Joshua and he says, you're going to have to be strong and courageous. Right there in Joshua 1. And he goes down and he says, actually, you're going to have to be strong and very courageous. Translated meaning this. You're going to have to take a dare on me at some point, Joshua, if we're going to get the people to this place. You see, God gave Joshua a task. You remember the battle of Jericho? Some of you, Kim, y'all went to Jericho. You saw this. It's amazing. This city, it was a fortified city. They were going to go to battle against Jericho. And Jericho was a, a wimpy city, right? No, it was a tiny, had tiny little walls. No, it had big walls. It was a fortified city. It was built up. And it was hard to get into. So God gave them an epic battle plan. March around it. On the last day, the trumpet's going to sound. And what are you going to do? You're going to scream. No hand grenades. No bazookas. No tanks. None of that. Nope. Just scream. So what are we going to do? We're going to scream because God told us to. Screaming is not a great battle plan, right? But they do it and the walls come down. And then a couple chapters later, they're at war. And they're being, you know, if they're going to be successful at this war, God has to do something. <clears throat> so he literally makes the sun stand still. Remember that story? To finish what God started. And what does God do? He answers. I think about guys like Elijah on Mount Carmel. One prophet against all the prophets of Baal. And here they were. And so these men there with all the sacrifice, he tells them to bring their sacrifice up to the altar. And the God who answers and consumes that sacrifice with a fire, that's the God. And so these men, man, they get their sacrifice. They start doing like an Indian dance, all this rain dance, all this stuff. They're going around and around, and Elijah's kind of mocking them. It's like shout louder. Maybe your God's on vacation. You know, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's out for a walk. And they keep doing it. And they start cutting themselves. It's actually really a depressing story if you want to think about it. And so Elijah's like, move over. Let, let, let me show you guys something. Take the sacrifice. Put it on an altar. Douse it with water. Now douse it some more. Douse it some more. Take the sacrifice. In fact, we're going to fill it up and completely soak it. And water's going to be overflowing, and it was, from everything around it. And he gets on his knees and he says, God, I want you to show off your glory. Me versus these men, but you're the one that's doing the work. Do it. What does God do? And what do the people do? 
They fall on their faces and they say, the Lord, surely he is God. What about the guys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They refused to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar in that big old statue. Remember that story? Because of their obedience to God and the affections of their heart were for the one true God. And then Nebuchadnezzar hears about it. And he goes up to these guys. He says, what's this I hear about you guys not bowing? They say, listen, we will not bow to you. And what does the king say? Listen, if you do not bow, I will throw you into the fiery furnace. And you will die. The flames will what? Consume you. And then they look at him. And they say, listen, we refuse to bow to you because our hearts are for God alone. We believe our God can save us. That's pretty strong faith, isn't it? But here's the best part about it. The next statement in Daniel 3. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't save us, we still refuse to bow. Hebrews 10, 39. We're not like those that shrink back and are destroyed, but we're like those who press forward and we move forward in faith. And in Hebrews Chapter 11, the hall of faith is what we see. People who saw God shut the mouth of lions. And they did all kinds of crazy things. But you know what some people did in faith? They moved forward and they were sawed in two. But the reward was all the same. They all stepped out in faith and they all took a risk. Here's the question. When was the last time you took a risk? On God. When was the last time you stepped out in faith? You know, the guys in the Luke passage we read, they had an eager expectation that their friend would walk. They had a hunch like, you know, maybe, just maybe Jesus can do it. But as believers, people, we've got more than a hunch. We have a hope that Jesus is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he can only do. Listen, does that expectation, does this eagerness in your heart drive you forward, and does it move you to action? Because listen, if it's just a doctrine in your head, and it's not God's truth in your heart, it will never make its way And you're not really following Christ. You're just being consumed with information. Just like we said about our mission statement. It's life transforming. The gospel transforms the mind. It transforms the heart. And it propels the feet to go and share the good news. The gospel moves us forward. And the kingdom moves us forward. We're not just cheerleaders, people. We're competitors. We contribute to the kingdom of God. Going forward, but these men also encountered an obstacle. Now, we all encounter obstacles, right? Like when you think about the one, the one person to invite or share with, do you feel like there's always something in the way? I mean, at this point in the story, the the men try to begin to bring their paralyzed friend on the mat to Jesus. And they try to bring him before Jesus, but What about the door? Well, it's blocked. I mean, here's this huge crowd. They can't get in. 
And if you're anything like me, it's at this point, man, you just throw up the white flag and say, well, must not be God's will. We're like, you know, Lord, I mean, he must close the door. And you know what we do? We start speaking in a language called Christianese. You ever heard that? We're like, I guess the Lord don't want this to happen. So maybe we just need to go a different way and forget about it. Not do it anymore. Listen, for most of us, an open door is just Christianese for the path of least resistance. Open door terminology for most of us is, Lord, we'll walk through that door because it seems easy. So just imagine the Apostle Paul, only, if he only walked through open doors according to our definition. Half of the New Testament wouldn't have been written. Flogged, beaten, thrown in prison, shipwrecked about three times. Does that sound like an open door? Paul, don't go to Rome. Paul, if you go, you're probably going to get killed. I know. I know what you're saying. That's probably what's going to happen. But you know what? I'm going to go anyway. Listen, sometimes where there's a closed door, you need to dig a hole in the roof. This is what I'm talking about, sharing Jesus. The devil will try to close all these doors. Sometimes you need to improvise and find another way to get someone to the feet of Jesus. Sometimes you just got to kick the door in and not just give up and throw your white flag up in the air and say, oh, must have been just a door that's closed. We should just go about our merry way. Listen, we're going to encounter obstacles in the way that way when we're trying to share Jesus with the one. And some of you are already finding that out. But do not throw up your white flag and surrender because there's an obstacle there. Dig a hole in the roof and do whatever it takes. And do not be afraid of ridicule. Kick the door open and go for it. And here's the last thing. These guys got more than they bargained for. These men got way more than they bargained for. Verse 25 says, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of God, Son of Man, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And that's what we're hoping for, right? Man, that your friend would walk. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. A paralyzed man just stood up and walked. And that's what they were hoping for. But everyone was amazed and they began to praise God. Now, here's the beauty. Don't miss this first. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Not all like, oh, I walked into the state fair and paid a quarter to see the world's smallest woman. No, that's not like that. This is like, I'm filled with with wonder and awe because we saw God do what only God could do at this place today. Listen, church, don't settle for the mundane when Jesus offers the miraculous. 
Ask God to do what only God can do in the life of your one. You've heard me say it a thousand times that the greatest miracle that takes place here on a Sunday is a person can walk right in here, sit down in here, hear the gospel, lost on their way to hell, then give their soul to Jesus, get saved, and walk out on their way to heaven. There's no greater miracle than that. None. These guys thought their friend needed to walk. The external circumstance was the most important thing. What Jesus looked at was the man's internal posture. What did he say first to them? Son, friend, your sins are forgiven. And then take up your mat and walk. Listen, the greatest need that you and I have, the greatest need that the one person has, the greatest need is not an external tweaking. I am tired of an external tweaking even in my own life. I don't need an external tweaking. I need a heart change. What about you? I need my soul crushed so God can mold me into what he wants me to be. Not, listen, God's not after a tweaked life. He's after a changed life. And the inner disposition is the most important piece of this whole passage, not the external circumstance. And Jesus does his greatest work there in the heart. Now, don't miss this. At some point, you and I were the paralytic on the mat. Do we understand that this morning? We were the one. We were the ones. Do you know that? You actually may be the paralytic on the mat. And today, you realize for the first time, oh my gosh, my friend keeps inviting me to church. My friend just keeps on because, but he or she thinks I really need Jesus. That's exactly right. That's why your friends are doing that. They want to offer you the greatest hope, not a message of hope, the only hope who is Jesus Christ. And they want you to see and to taste and know that the Lord is good. And some point, listen, we were the paralytic on the mat. And someone in your life, we can all trace a finger to someone. Someone looked at you and they said, my mission is to see that person come to faith in Christ. And they were eager. And they were expected that God could do what only God can do in your life. And you know what? If they, anything like the people that tried to see them come to faith in Christ, they probably encountered a lot of obstacles. You see, your pride, circumstances in your life, things in your way, you didn't want to do anything with it, but they kept persisting. Some of you know this story because it's happened to you. When the door was shut, they actually dug a hole through the roof. So let me ask you this morning, who's your one? Is it your parent? Is it your grandparent? Is it your friend? Is it a child? God says, I'm getting ready to show you something greater. And it's people. And it's life transformation in the lives of people. And it's time for us to get off the sideline, 
And stop cheering and start fishing and start moving the ball down the court. Listen, church, it is time to start casting your nets. It's time to start fishing and it's time to stop talking about fishing and it's time to start. You know what fishing starts? It starts with one. The question this morning is who's your one? Who's the one person that you want to see God do what only God can do in them? We need to understand that the clock is ticking on your mission. So don't delay. Find your one and share Christ with them. Would you bow your heads as we get ready to pray? If you're here this morning and God has not laid on your heart who that one is and you know the Lord, I would ask that you would bathe that in prayer. For those of you who do know who that one is, this altar will be open for you to come and pray for them if you want to. If you're here and you don't know the one that I'm talking about, the one and only Jesus Christ who can save your soul from hell, if you want to come and get to know him today, you can do that. Father God, we give you thanks that when we were the paralytic on the mat, you looked at us, not in our external state, but you looked at our hearts and you said, I forgive you. God, we know that is the greatest need of every person that ever walked the planet, forgiveness of sins. And Father, today, if there's anyone in this place or someone watching by live stream or TV, Lord, I pray that they would not be after the external tweaks of their life, but that they would see that you are after their heart and they would confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. They know that their sin has separated them and they need your grace, God. I pray that would be, that would be true of them today. Father, we thank you that even though we were once the paralytic, you looked at us in our state and you said, get up and walk. Just as we have received your grace, God, help us to now extend that to someone else. God, bring that one into our life and help us to be bold and share. God, put on our hearts a desire for the one, that one person this month that we would see come to faith in Christ. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you are encouraged today, and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you would like to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.